Hi, Shana. How are you? I'm good. Um, is there an echo? Am I good? Should I put him? No, am I good? Because apparently uh, my dad is telling me he can't really hear me that well on my phone today. Okay. You're good, though. All right. Cool. So thank you, Shana, for joining us. My name is Kelly. I'm here with Mental Health Global Network, whose mission is to prioritize mental health on an equivalent level to physical health. And we do that by having early intervention efforts, by spreading awareness and information like we're going to today. Um, and today's conversation is going to be about substance use disorders. This conversation is much needed. As in 2018, 53 million or 19.4% of individuals over the age of 12, 12 have misused illegal drugs or prescription drugs in the last year. And what's even more devastating is that over 700,000 lives have been lost to drug overdoses in the last 20 years. So that's why conversations like this, you know, spread that information that people need. Hopefully, if there's anyone who's struggling themselves listening, they can get the help that they need. And Shane is going to shed a light on a lot of different things. Um, so we have Shana Rowley here with us. She's a fierce advocate for mental health awareness, fitness, and all things substance use. But specifically, she founded the Brie Rowley Foundation, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So welcome, Shana. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Amazing. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Shana. I'm 25. I started the Brie Rowley Foundation about almost two years ago. It started in 2018. About I started that like a week after my sister passed away, which was April 3rd, 2018. Um, like you said, I do personal training. I live in New York right now. So... <clears throat> Sorry. So yeah, that's pretty much what I'm doing right now. I'm getting into nursing soon. Um, but I'm working really hard on my foundation and trying to collab with you guys about mental health and how addiction plays into, you know, the mental health. Absolutely. Yeah. And mental health and substance use go hand in hand. A lot of people self medicate with drugs or alcohol. And again, the statistics I just went over are only inclusive of drugs as opposed to it. You can only imagine what the numbers would be if alcohol yeah. included. Um, so why are you passionate about mental health? You mentioned about your sister, but can you go a little more in detail about your experiences? Um, I'm passionate about mental health because um, personally I deal with a lot of anxiety and depression, mostly anxiety though. Um, I didn't really start experiencing that until like 2016 after my boyfriend passed away from the same exact thing my sister did. And it's actually a really scary thing once you experience it firsthand because I didn't know what it even was at the beginning. When my boyfriend had it at the beginning, I was like, what's anxiety? What even is that? And now, you know, I deal with that day to day and it's, it's definitely very hard to overcome. So I also think that with my foundation, a lot of people don't understand that with substance abuse, mental health, and that's why we got to learn how to put that stuff together and learn about each aspect of it. Absolutely. And with mental health, people have a lot of empathy, or at least more so than with substance use sometimes. Um, sometimes there's more blame on the, the patient who's experiencing mental health issues that lead to the substance use in the first place. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important that people know that. Um, so you started the Brie Rally Foundation in honor of your sister. What does the Brie, found, uh, the Brie Rally Foundation do? Um, and what's your mission? Tell us all about it. Okay, so <clears throat> the Brie Rally Foundation helps kids that have lost a parent to an overdose. 
Um, our biggest issue right now is like finding places to be able to donate our money to because most of the places really only focus on helping kids that have lost a parent to really anything. We're trying to shrink it down to how these kids are literally growing up without their parents. And it's, you know, it's the same kind of thing. Like the kids are not, it doesn't matter what they've lost their parents to. We're just having so much trouble finding something that focuses on parents overdosing and how serious this is because people don't realize like how many grandparents are raising their kids kids their grandchildren due to the epidemic and i think that's something we really are trying so hard to focus on so um right now a girl that's on my foundation and i we really want to try and like start our own camp because most of the things that we want to donate to they're camps but um we just kind of want to start our own thing and then expand with it but we're working really hard we're only really a year old uh officially by law a year old so we're slowly making our way up there but we've grown so much in the last year that it's just ridiculous so a lot of people that are, are just reaching out to me saying like i want to be a part of this i want to help you and you know coming to my events and it's just i know it's going to continue to grow so yeah i think the response that you've had speaks to how common these issues are because people from all over can relate and want to donate and want to be part of it um, I personally attended the uh, Buckets for Brie event that you had last year, which was amazing. Um, yeah, this was a shirt. Yeah, so Shana um, for the Brie Rally Foundation, their annual fundraiser is Buckets for Brie, where they get a lot of people involved in tournaments. Um, and lots of funds were raised last year. Unfortunately, COVID, um, you know, kind of ruined Buckets for Brie this year. Yep. But how do you intend to keep your mission moving despite, you know, the world being shut down right now? In-person events aren't a thing. So what is the Brie Rally Foundation doing to keep moving forward? So we have some live events where we're like raffling off things. I have a lot of stuff since our event got canceled. I have so many gift certificates, Subway, just stuff in, in my hometown because I'm from a really small hometown. A lot of people always want to reach out and help me. So a lot of my stuff is usually donated. So now I have all this stuff where it's like, okay, do I hold it when I'm going to do my next buckets for Brie? Or why don't I engage now online and get more people to be like, okay, when I did my first live, it was to win a certain amount of money from the Brie Rally Foundation because COVID just started. So it was like everybody was interacting with it. And they all knew that their money they were, they were putting towards it went towards the foundation. So I think um, I would like to do a lot more live stuff and I would love to do buckets for Brie at the end of September, it's just, you know, you have to put the feedback out there. Do people feel comfortable coming? The place that I chose to do it, not high school where me and you were last time, there's a lot of place for social distancing and a lot of room. And like I told you before, with the um, bracelets, I feel like that would make people feel comfortable as well. Obviously, Buckets for Brie is my annual thing, but during the year, we'll, we just continue to do a bunch of little stuff that helps us. Absolutely. And I remember, I, I think it was around December of last year, you guys did a toy drive. So you're constantly helping out these kids. Um, and it's, it's very, very pandemic. So I'm sure that our generation, as we grow up, um, we're going to see more of this, sadly. And these kids definitely need help. Their parents needed help and maybe didn't get it. Um, and that's why I want to steer the conversation. When Brie um, was struggling with substance use before she passed, I'm sure that was like, insanely difficult for you and all of her loved ones and um how did you personally cope with that how did you deal with her addiction issues when they were happening so when my sister was like really 
bad into substance abuse. I was actually away at college playing basketball and softball. I was in Massachusetts. So I wasn't really firsthand like seeing it, you know, and being like, wow, this is what's going on. But I ended up coming home in 2014 and I was just hanging out with my best friend. And he was like, listen, your sister's doing this. And the person who told me we're still best friends to this day. Like I just, I just knew that what he said was the truth. So I just kind of just was in denial about it. I didn't really do anything. I didn't like react in a way that I thought I would cons like considering that my brother had gone through the same exact thing and worse. So I was just like, no, there's no way, like, why would she do those kind of things? Um, so I kind of just pushed it off and then like she got really well, like things changed, everything was great. And then like, you know, poop blank, that's how it really happens. Like you get better and then you relapse and I feel like I, I push it off a lot and I do blame myself in a way. And I feel like a lot of families that go through this feel the same exact way. But at the end of the day, you know, my sister could have pushed harder to get more help. She could have done these other things. We could have done more things. And I guess there really wasn't a way for me to cope because I was just in denial. I just didn't full on take it the way I should have. Um, I was just younger. I was just, you know, I was in college. I just was like, I don't really know what's going on. I'm focusing on myself. So I, I obviously regret that in a way. Well, a lot, but not much you can do now, you know, except help, try and help others that are going through the same thing as you. Right, which you've done a great job of doing. Like you've touched so many people so far. And I think your story, even talking about, you know, the denial or guilt that you feel, a lot of survivors of drug overdoses, you know, feel that same pain. Um, and yeah, you were younger, you didn't know. A lot of people don't know because there's a lack of education on these topics generally. Um, so you mentioned Brie did get better at one point um, before she relapsed. When she did get better, what was going on there? Because one of the fundamental values of Mental Health Global Network is recovery is possible. You can get better. Here are resources. You know, there's so many things that you can do. Um, however, when tragedies like this happen, you know, you all did the most that you could do. Um, so what was useful for Brie when she was struggling? Like what helped her during that time? I think um, having Paisley and getting pregnant was a 360 turn. She wasn't in the best relationship. It was very just negative, abusive. You know, she ended up getting back together with the love of her life from middle school, high school. And I think in a way that my sister, like, because they got back together so fast, like, they knew each other for like growing up their whole lives, but they had an eight year split. So it's like, she get, she gets back together with them. So I'm thinking maybe she did what she did because he didn't know that she can go do these things. My sister was very sneaky. She could, she could do a lot of things and get away with it. And I feel like the person she was with before knew if, when she was going to be doing something, knew when she was going to be shady or doing this and that. And I feel like her fiance didn't ex assume that as much. He didn't really know what was going on. You know, they were just so happy getting, they got engaged gained like 30 pounds finally she was like a skeleton so right there that's when my family and I would be like she's so healthy like look at her body look at the way she, how happy she is you can even see like the week before she died how happy she was so like that makes us always think like I don't understand you know you don't understand why they did what they did but at the end of the day addiction's a disease and and well, I'm not talking to her it's her brain talking to her it's they're yeah. telling need this we have to go and do this right now and i think that's something i feel i think about her all the time like i wish i could have just been like i wish i could have taken those thoughts out of her head there's even the, like her fiance at the time and the negative things she would say about herself and i think that really came from substance abuse like the things that she would say 
and hating yourself like that and being so down on yourself and not reaching out to people, that's when your substance abuse is just going to get worse because you're hiding in this little shell and you don't want to go and ask for help because you're, you are embarrassed. You're in denial that you are an addict and you don't, you know, like no one, you no one wants to go to your sister and say, Hey, I'm doing drugs and I need help. Not many people have the courage to go and do that. So I think that was another issue of hers. So. Yeah. So, um, when, when Brie was, you know, going through everything, do you think that, um, like her self-esteem or her own mental health issues. Or like it was kind of, it sounds kind of like a cycle. And yeah. this with a lot of individuals who experience mental health issues, they use substances to feel better, but substances themselves throw off your chemicals in your brain yep. and ultimately result in feeling worse or comorbidity when we see additional mental disorders forming. Um, so obviously losing a loved one is super difficult. I know you've been through hell and back um, how do you deal with that grief? That's a whole nother, you know, issue. We talk about individuals struggling and drug use, substance use, but what about, you know, grieving the loss of a loved one from this especially is horrible, but just in general, a lot of people are experiencing grief from the losses of COVID right now. Um, or if they are going through the same thing that you are, what, what helps you deal with that? Um, honestly, I can personally say that people grieve all different ways. There is not a way that you can tell someone, hey, you should feel this way. This is how long that you should grieve. And that's it. I'm going on two years and I'm going on four years with my boyfriend at the time. And it's it's like it happened yesterday. So I've seen people on Facebook or, or all over the place and they say all these nasty things about how people should just get over it and move on and that this and the third. And that's not how you tell someone what to do. And it's not really anyone's business, but your own personal self. My mom grieves her own way. My dad grieves her own way. My brother grieves her own way. I grieve my own way. And when Paisley grows up, she's going to grieve her own way. It's just, you can't tell someone how to feel. And I think I took it a lot harder than a lot of people in my family. I mean, I know my dad and my mom are just, and Aunt Kathy are just literally devastated. But my brother, you know, he's back in Florida. I more take my grief and kind of share my pain with others and my story to try and help people see that this isn't just my family. This isn't just, you know, it didn't just happen to my brother, it happened to my sister, it didn't happen, it happens to so many people and families that it's just absurd what you think about. So grief wise, honestly, I try and stay as much as I can to fitness. I try and do fitness, make my mental health better. If I'm upset, I'll try and go for a run. Or if I'm upset about something, I, you know what? I cry. There's nothing wrong crying. And I feel like you have to get it out. And once you hold it, if you hold it in, like, it's just a bad situation. So I'm, I'm not going to lie. I cry a lot and I'm, I'm not ashamed of it. So I feel like um, writing in a journal can help. You can do meditation. You can just do anything that helps your mental health and take care of yourself and don't worry about everybody else. Of course, I'm worried about my family and everybody else, but I have to take care of me too. And I have to worry about how am I going to get over this? How am I going to grow up one day without my sister? How are, how is this like going to be a normal thing for my life? You know? So I feel like everybody finds their own way to grieve and no one can really tell you how to grieve. Absolutely. And grieving is hard, but I like what you said about res respecting how people grieve differently and, you know, crying too. Crying is literally a release and it releases stress. It 
so many physical and psychological benefits, yet there's a lot of stigma about crying and expressing that emotion. So I'm glad to hear, and I'm glad that you just said that for everybody else to hear that crying helps and that'll help you get through it. And like you said, self-care is the key to helping others. You can't, you know, pour from an empty glass if you're not taking care of yourself, then how can you lead this literal like revolution? Yeah, like even, even go getting your nails done or anything, anything that you feel can help make you feel better, do it. I would, and I'm not saying go do drugs because that makes people feel better. I'm saying do things that you don't have to do things like that. You know, even if you're trying to recover and you're trying to get better, there is other ways. Like you said at the beginning, recovery is possible. You just need to find your way and you have to be the one who, you know, your family can't, your family can only do so much. Your family can only say so much. At the end of the day, it's you who has to go and do what you have to do. Yeah, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. And yeah. this comes up a lot in our mental health training. Like, what do you do if someone doesn't want help? And I think that, people tend to do the wrong thing in situations of substance use a lot. And, you know, what we say is keep the door open, let them know when they are ready, you'll be the one to help them, you'll be the one to pick up the phone, or bring them to, you know, a support group or whatever that treatment might be. Um, mm -hmm. But what we never want to do is withdraw care. And a lot of people tend to do, to do that. And understandably so because, you know, um, people who are experiencing substance use disorders are you know, under the influence, and they behave in a way that, you know, a lot of people might take personal, and there's a lot of pushback in terms of treatment. Um, yeah. But ultimately, you just, you don't threaten to withdraw, you let them know that the door is open, and you kind of just have to ride it out until they learn for themselves. Um, so if you could say anything to anyone who's struggling, someone like Bree, someone like your boyfriend, um, what would what would you say to them? Ask for help and don't be ashamed because your family's here for you. Your friends are here for you, whether you think that or not, whether you're ashamed, whether you're struggling, there's people out there. There's support groups that I'm in. I have never used in my life. I'm in probably like 15 groups of recovering addicts. I go to all their events. I'm there with them. They'll talk, even people that are using, they'll talk in the group chat and they'll be like, I messed up again, blah, blah, blah. Right there. They're reaching out for help. There, hundreds of people will comment on it. Keep going. Blah, blah. It's just a, put yourself in a positive area with good people and just like I said with the grieving just self-love self-care and don't definitely definitely reach out I think that's what the main problem is. they never reach out they never try to tell others what's going on because they're so ashamed and so embarrassed and I think that needs to change big time and why do you think that there's so much shame we talk about stigma with mental health issues and there's certainly some misconceptions about substance use disorders in general, but also the user themselves might have this, you know, skewed opinion about what treatment means. They might think that they're going to get shipped away somewhere for six months or they're going to lose all their freedom. And oh. although sometimes an inpatient program is appropriate for a patient, I think that we need to spread more awareness about the fact that patients can be involved in their treatment. And the best way to encourage someone to get help is to ask them what they want to do. You know, now now that you're struggling, it's important that you see a therapist. So who would you like to talk to? Or, you know, giving them options of resources and plans of treatment and making them feel empowered to participate as opposed to um, there's a lot of, you know, people yeah. think that they're just going to be locked away. I think that was a big issue for my sister. She never went to rehab. She never would bring it up. We would bring it up. She would laugh because she'd be like, you know, 
I'm the most carefree, reckless person. I'm not going to do that. My brother, he went seven times. Each time he came out, he and then after we brought him to after rehab, rehab, not rehab, after rehab facility program, where basically like it was just him and this guy one-on-one. And every Tuesday and Thursday, he would do like Krav Maga and MMA, like fighting teaching classes. And I would go every Tuesday and Thursday and be there with my brother because that's what he would get into. So the first thing he did was write a paper on why, like how he got addicted and like what happened. And I'll never forget the first line. It was like, I just remember I'm outside playing basketball with my t-shirt off when I felt like I was on top of the world. And he was using with his girlfriend at the time. My brother has never had a girlfriend <clears throat> since. And I feel like maybe he's traumatized. I really don't know. I was just like, wow. So my brother got into that and he started to fall in love with fitness and taking care of himself. Ramagan, MMA and self-defense. Now he's eight years sober. He fell in love with something else. And I think that's what something, a huge thing that people don't see when they're addicted. They think that the world is ending They're They think they're low lives. They think they're losers. They think they can't come out of this. And that's not true. You have to fall in love with something else. You have to put all that energy into something. And honestly, I, Today, I don't know how my brother's alive. I feel like my brother was in, was so much worse than my sister. And obviously, my sister got, I mean, she overdosed from fentanyl. And she also mixed some stuff. And I tell my brother, if you were doing that when the fentanyl was around, you wouldn't have a fighting chance. When we were in high school, me and you, that's when my brother was really doing it. And fentanyl wasn't really a thing that people would be like, oh, fentanyl, fentanyl. Now you, now you can't go anywhere without hearing, oh, they overdosed on fentanyl. So... I think that's a really big issue. Um, people definitely are scared to go into rehab, but you also have to go to an outpatient rehab before you go to an inpatient re- rehab. That's what people also don't know. You can't just go and be shipped off to God's nowhere sometimes unless you go to an outpatient first. So like in Connecticut, people would go to Rushford. You go there and at least you're going and you're trying, you know, just take that first step and try. And And I just feel like, a lot of people need to try to come more together and say, listen, like, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to do it. What I don't agree with rehabs is you go into rehab, they take your phone, you learn about drugs the entire time you're there. So like, you're not really learning anything besides learning more about things that you're already doing. And um, when my boyfriend got out of rehab, he literally told me he learned more things than not when he went in there. And that's frustrating because it's like, you're sitting in a class. It's like, they have this like schedule from, morning to dawn you get to call someone at like one time and i think that's frustrating you should be able to call your your family and just tell them how you're doing you shouldn't be limited to that like or take your internet away or anything that put a rehab where it's like fitness and like mental health training like stuff like this like not hey we're gonna learn about percocets and this and how bad it is for you they already know right they're not just sitting in rehab for no reason thinking that they don't know that already of course they know and I feel like when you're an addict and you're sitting in there and you're learning about it, you're thinking, wow, I'm going to go, I'm going to go and try that. Why not go and, and try that? Now I learned about it. So why couldn't I do this and this and that? And I think it's a huge issue. And I feel like rehabs need to do a 360 on their whole entire programs. I feel like that is, I mean, I, many people that I hear go to rehab, they're overdosing right when they get out. So I, I don't know. After my brother went to the aftercare rehab, I just feel like it was a totally different world. And it made me realize that, like, there has to be more rehabs out there that are like this. And that's something I want to do with the foundation. Like, one day, if I even have the opportunity to do that, I would open up a place where it's 
activities, mental health training, say that you're there, anyone from your team is there, hey, let's go to a class like this, we're doing that. No negativity, no learning about the drugs. You write a paper one time like my brother did, get it all off your chest and press a restart button. And I, and I, that's something I would really, really, really like to do. Yeah. Treatment shouldn't be a punishment. Yeah. It should be, you know, something that's encouraged and it, there should be incentive to go to rehab and get better. And it really is a beautiful process for those that it works for. But like you said, we do need more reform in our rehabs as well as more awareness about what the process can be and should be. And there should be a lot of emotional work happening um, you know, breaking down what started this substance use disorder. Are there underlying mental health issues um, or, you know, self-esteem issues that led to using? Yeah. Um, and absolutely, it shouldn't be a punishment because that only breeds fear and resistance to treatment. Yep. Um, so we talked a little bit about um, your sister and like what you could say to her. What would you say to the friends and family that are going through this right now that have a loved one, that they're trying to get help, that they've, you know, been through hell and back with their, um, you know, substance user, what would you say to them? Um, definitely never give up on the person. It's going to be the hardest thing you ever go through. There's going to be times where you want to cut them off, kick them out of the house, do all those things. And I personally don't think that they work. They they will just go out, do whatever. We actually tried to approach my brother, did not work out well, ended up just getting worse. I'll never forget my mom, you know, saying, you know, you're cut off, whatever. He didn't have his car registered, nothing, got in the car and just drove away. And I just remember watching his red car go up the driveway and I was just like, relentless, literally just, and you know, me and my mom were like, oh my God, but we were still there. We just continued to be like, listen, we want to help you. And I think that even when they're so down, they still need to continue to hear that. Yelling at them, screaming at them, telling horrible things to them isn't helping. You have to be encouraging, uplifting, positive try to bring them around places like I was saying before, try to get them into other things, even if they're saying no, keep trying, you know, go down fighting. I mean, I, I'm <clears throat> personally, I, <clears throat> I didn't do enough for my sister and I could have done more. I always say, you know, don't people are, don't blame yourself. Don't blame yourself. But I could have been in her face saying, go to rehab. Let me take care of Paisley. I'll do what I can do while you're getting better. You know, there was so much more that I could have done that my family could have done. And that's going to be with me for the rest of my life. So I think people just, you know, I know it's frustrating. I know it's hard and it's, it's not fun. It is not a good time, but you don't want to look back one day like me and be like, wow, like I, I just lost my sister and I, I potentially was a part of that problem because I'm her little sister. I could have been like, listen, dude, you know what's going on. But at this point I can't do anything. It's like, now I can't do anything and I have to live with that. And if I, could even just talk to her one more time, I would say everything I just said, like, what can I do? And and don't be afraid to tell me, like, just let me know. Like, I'm your sister, you can say anything to me. Same thing with my brother, let me know. So I think that's something that every parent, like, really needs to hold on strong to. Just stick by their side and never give up. Same thing for a sibling. It's not fun watching your sibling pretty much go into a grave and people say, oh, it's suicide. It's not, it's a disease. And that is the biggest thing about addiction. People think that this is a choice, choice at the beginning and then it leads to a huge problem that they can't stop doing. My sister wasn't like that. My boyfriend wasn't like that. My brother wasn't like that. You don't just wake up one day and say, hey, I'm going to do this and, and I'm going to go and overdose. No one is like that. You don't just, you know what I mean? Like it's just not a word like that. And when you're so far deep into it and you feel like you're losing your kid or your sibling, just you just got to keep going because 
they're they're changing they literally turn into like a monster that you don't even know because of mental health and addiction because it's a disease <laughs> and, and I, it's real. I like seriously like i know i say that a lot and a lot of people argue with me about it <clears throat> and they really say oh it's a choice of course it is at the beginning but it doesn't end like that so I just like personally me like with addiction and running in my family I get scared like say I were to go down that road I feel like because addiction is in my family and it's so like I wouldn't be able to stop myself either no matter how strong I am mentally or any other way like it's just it happens and you kind of control it yeah no I mean from what you just said I got a couple of things one you know spread awareness about the stigma around substance use it is not a choice it's a disease. Once someone starts using, their chemicals in their brain change and they literally cannot stop without help and, you know, a lot of assistance. And then the second thing that you said about ensure that person, if, if you're assisting a loved one who has a substance use disorder, just keep encouraging them to get help. Give them, you know, a plethora of options and continue to suggest things, continue to encourage them to do the things they love, to find new hobbies, to try new things outside of the drug use. Yep. And then, you know, lastly, to not give up. And what I wanna add to that is, you know, don't threaten to withdraw care. Don't take things personally. Um, something we talk about in our course, like your language, like you said, being positive is really important, but trying to use the right language instead of sounding like you're accusing someone and saying something like, you did this, you did that, using person first language, like I noticed this behavior, um, saying, you know, avoiding phrases like should, you should do this, you need to do this, yep. but switching it up, like you could do this. This is an opportunity that's available to you. This is a place we can go. This is a treatment program you could try. Um, and really just involving them in the process it's not you versus them. It's literally going to be a collaborative effort and it requires participation. Recovery is possible, but people have to actively participate. And in the same way that if someone had a torn ACL, they would go to the hospital, then have surgery, then, you know, have to do PT for two months or whatever it might be. There is a whole process that it takes for someone to recover. And then they might be in recovery for the rest of their life. They might have full remission of symptoms, but a lot of people are at risk to overdose. And it, it takes a village and props to you because I know your family did so much to try to help Brie. And it's literally incredible and gives me chills all that you're doing now. And the way that you're going to help so many people, I know that Brie would be so proud of you. And I'm definitely proud of oh. you. Yeah, um, I agree. So... I just think it is a the craziest thing I've ever gone through in my life. And did I ever think I was going to go through it three times? No. But the first time learning with my brother, I felt like those experiences helped me react into the two other experiences. And I didn't really know anything about it. You know, when I found my brother in my bathroom floor, I was just like, you know, I was so young. I was a senior in high school. I didn't even know what was going on. I didn't know what to do. I just remember, I just remember passing out like, and then like trying to wake myself up and then you know like they tell you move them on your side because just in case they throw up i couldn't move this kid so right there i just like something like came into me where i was like okay i could see myself doing this in life like i could see myself being a nurse i could see myself or doing anything along the line of addiction and i feel like this foundation is literally my baby like i love this foundation i know i just started it and i just feel like 10 years from now it's gonna 
be so big. Like, I feel like I will have a place for people to come to. I will have a camp. I will do all the things that I want to do. And with the toy drives, like that was honestly amazing. Like I didn't think that I was going to have an outcome like it did. Like people didn't even have to show up. It was the fact that there was other places that you could drop off toys. And then when all the toys came into one place, it was like, wow, these people actually are like understanding my mission and understanding that kids are literally growing up without their parents. There's pictures on Facebook where you see little kids lying near their parents' graves like that. I think that was the first picture I saw on Facebook that really made me want to get into this because it wasn't just that kid. It wasn't just Paisley. It wasn't just, there's millions, millions across the world. And I just, just so many things going on with substance abuse. It's just getting worse and worse. And I just saw today, another Netflix documentary just came out. It's like, there's like 18 on there now. It's just, you know, I encourage people to watch them. I, some, you know, it's hard for me to watch them sometimes, but I'm gaining so much knowledge by just watching them and learning like, wow, this is really what was going on. This is just insane to learn about. So I always encourage people to listen, go and watch those, go take notes, try and help others. You know, if other people are struggling, tell them what you've learned. So. Yeah, sharing knowledge goes a long way. And you just mentioned something about, um, you know, assisting your brother when he had overdosed. And I know that you took a Narcan um, training before. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, that's something I'm definitely interested in learning. And so I, I actually don't have it in my um, room right now, but I actually carry Narcan on me at all times. And I think everybody should carry Narcan. And you don't have to be certified to administer Narcan. You just, you know, just need to take the course or... You know, watch me. Um, that's something I really want to do online is, you know, teaching the Narcan. I have uh, these doll, human, not human dolls, but the fake dolls coming in so we can show people how to administer it up the nose. Um, we taught that at Buckets for Bray when you were there. We had at least our little station. So she didn't really teach it, but there was pamphlets. There was things you can learn about it. Um, Narcan is a medication that you put up the person's overdose nose and it's supposed to reverse the overdose. And I don't really even know when my brother, like in 2012, if that was like a thing, but now I, I just learned so much about it. I hear it all the time. And on Facebook today, it said, what is something you carry in purse that other people don't? I said, Narcan. And everybody was coming, me too, me too. And like, that makes me feel good because it's like, you need, you know, you don't know if you can be on the side of the street and you see someone overdosing. Um, that other thing on Facebook with this kid, that's like um, a pharmacist. He literally watched a girl, he stood there, he watched someone overdose and waited until she took her last breath because he said that it was like a, uh, the country's like losing money or some stupid comment he made. And that makes me sick because I was there and I had Narcan on me and I'm not a nurse now, but I would have just reacted instantly. And it, you don't have to be a, you're not a hero, whatever, people can say whatever they want about you, but you're saving someone family someone else's kid someone else's brother like you don't you don't know and you don't know anything about them just like we don't know anything about homeless people who sit on the side of the street you don't know their story you don't know anything it doesn't matter you they don't deserve to die and if yeah you like do you want to watch that happen or do you want to try and be like i'm gonna fix this I'll, I'll i'm here i have it in my purse i have it in my car i have a little kit that i'm making right now that i'm going to be selling it's got the narcan it has the, the wipes you have gloves to put on because you want to be safe you don't want to be doing anything you know that can harm others especially the person overdosing so i think learning about narcan taking the class online and in person is so ideal and so key for anybody in life it doesn't matter if you don't know a single thing about addiction or you know heroin fentanyl it doesn't matter it's just it's very very important and with the numbers that we discussed about how prominent 
substance use issues are, you're probably more likely to have to, you know, administer Narcan than you would to do regular CPR or be around someone who's having a heart attack, which is the sad truth. But people like you and people who get trained, and I think that's amazing you're putting together the Narcan kits. Um, that's the first step in, you know, leading people to recovery and preventing these tragic overdoses. Even addicts themselves keep Narcan on them. With when my sister overdosed in her fiance's house, he literally had, he had like a very bad life. He was living in like um, a, a house. I don't remember. I don't know what really it is. He never was an addict, but he was living in this house and they would carry Narcan in the house. And he told me that when she overdosed, he was literally screaming, where's Narcan? So like he even knew like, it's it's around it's around but i it wasn't in his house because he wasn't not he was in a different house he was in the house he grew up in so it's like even addicts carry narcan because they keep it just in case they feel they're going to overdose i know my sister used to carry that stuff i'm not stupid i know she did but i'd rather her carry it than her going overdose you know obviously she already died but it's like you would want them to carry it on them to try and and, and at least save themselves yeah, for sure. It can make a difference in getting these numbers down. And, yeah. you know, after someone overdoses, they kind of have that opportunity to get help and to start that conversation about their mental health and the substance use that they've been doing. Um, so one of the goals of the Brie Rowley Foundation is to help children who have lost their parents to overdose. Um, and a lot of kids are growing up how do you think that affects a family, um, you know, the child themselves, but also from experiencing that firsthand, you know, the caretakers that end up stepping up for the child. And this is going to be even more common in future generations of, you know, children being raised by grandparents and siblings and stuff like that. Personally, I get sick over it. I get sick over it every day of my life because, you know, I, I was living in South Carolina. I moved here to New York now. I live two hours tops to Connecticut. I did that so I can be with my daughter, my niece, Paisley. I feel like I, I'm scared for the day that I have to tell her what happened to her mom. I'm very scared for that day. And, and we all agreed in my family that we're going to tell her that she was just very sick. And she was. And whether, whether she had got better in that one time, whatever I said before, it doesn't matter. She was still very sick. It, it was an issue. It was a problem. And... I just, I dread that day more than anything. She's turning for this August. She's starting to learn more things. She adores me. She's raised, she's being raised by three women right now, and Kathy, me, and my mom. And thank God for my mom stepping up because at the end of the day, like, it's the grandparents have the first rights. I have no rights no matter what because I'm just her aunt. Like, it's weird to say that, and people are always like, what? But that's how the system is, and, and they don't really care. And I think that's so hard on a family to just, like, have to tell someone, like, just like a child, like at five, six years old, she's going to be wondering, you know, where's my mom? Recently, she's been looking at a lot of pictures of her mom. She even did that as a baby. So like, it, it's just not something I look forward to at all. And I don't think many families are prepared for that, like at all. So even when my Aunt Kathy, she does her fairy days, there was a bunch of kids there. They were all going, mommy, mommy. So Paisley started saying, mommy, mommy. And right there, it was just like my heart went into my stomach. Because they were all looking around for their mom. She's looking around like, what is mom? And what, where is she? You know what I mean? So I ran over to her. You know, everything was fine, whatever. And then I went into the bathroom and I cried like a baby. Because it <laughs> literally, it just was, you know, it was just like, it was like my anxiety went off. I felt horrible. And I'm like, if that is something that that's happening now, it's not going to 
get easier. It's the older she is, she's learning more. She's so smart. She's just, that's, it's just not something that any aunt or mother or grandmother or grandpa wants to say to someone, Hey, this is what happened. And you're going to go the rest of your life, not having a mom, whether I am a huge part of her life or not. And I'm her aunt, that's going to really, really mess her life up in so many ways. And you know, you're going to wonder what was my mom like this, then the third, you, it's just very heartbreaking to think about. Yeah, it's heartbreaking for Paisley. It's heartbreaking for you, your mom, your aunt, everyone that has to now, you know, take this on. And like you said, too, there's even legal barriers. There's even custody issues that arise with these, um, you know, with these overdoses. And who's the biggest victim of all? An innocent little child. And that that's why I'm so glad that the Brie Rally Foundation was started so that these kids can get toys on Christmas and these kids can get the funding for their dreams or whatever. Um, and what you're doing is really going to help so many people. And it's sadly, these issues are only, you know, getting worse with fentanyl on the rise. Um, it's truly an epidemic. So I feel that the world definitely needs the Brie Rally Foundation. And I encourage everybody listening Go follow that account, see how you can get involved, share it with people that you know are passionate about substance use, send it to people who are struggling, um, and just spread the word because there's a lot that we can do. Oh, where did I let go? Um, sorry about that. <laughs> okay, take it over, Shana, if you want to say some last words uh, before we wrap it up. I had the good lighting before, but I guess the battery died. All right. Now I just look crusty, but continue. But yeah, I agree with what she said. Follow me, message me, anything, whether it's you're an addict or a recovering addict, someone who wants to be involved in the foundation. There are so many ways that you can be involved. So many um, resources I can show you, whether it's on Facebook, Instagram, anywhere. I know where to go. I know what I'm talking about. I know a lot of people who are going through this. There's so many people I connect, can connect you to. And I feel like us talking right now and us, you know, collaborating how we want to is going to be another huge part of the foundation that is going to make us grow more because we want to bring the mental health into it. And I feel it's going to be a really positive thing. So I would say, you know, reach out. Don't be afraid to reach out. Definitely let me know if you need evidence or, you know, anybody to talk to. And I'm definitely here. Yeah. Thanks for offering that up. So Shana will personally help you out if you want to talk to her. She's there for you. Likewise, with the Mental Health First Aid account, you guys can always message us. Um, and yeah, I just want to end this on a positive note. If you're a caretaker of someone with a substance use disorder, have faith, have hope, you know, continue to encourage professional help, continue to encourage self-help and other support strategies. And most importantly, don't give up, don't threaten to withdraw care, um, don't take things personally, know what's going to be challenging, get, your, get um, help for yourself too. You might need to see a therapist to work through um, being a caretaker or, you know, um, increase the self-care things that you're doing for yourself. Um, and then lastly, if you are someone who is struggling with substance use disorder, um, please Google help, you know, message a friend, message Shana, message us, whoever. We're here to help you. There's so many resources. There is hope. Have faith and things will get better. Recovery is possible. And all you have to do is start the conversation to get there. So, I agree. Um, yeah. Well, thank you, Shayna, for being here and taking the time. I think that this definitely touched a lot of people. And I look forward to collaborating in the future. Me too. I was so excited. I had a great time.
I know this was I was so nervous because I've never gone live before but it, oh. it, the conversation flowed for yeah. sure I agree all right bye guys thank you for watching bye. and bye Shana thanks for being here I thank you